black life. Yeah. I'm a little fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. So it yeah. uh so so <laughs> all the shit you've been through, and it's like the least you motherfuckers can do is put a mask on. Right. Yeah, man. <laughs> Welcome to episode seven of the Black Life Pod. I'm Alex, and as always, I was joined by Marcus and Brian. The three of us have taken our coronavirus precautions seriously, but none of us have taken them as seriously as Brian. Today, we understand why. As a hospital corpsman in the Navy, Brian was deployed to New York at the peak of the coronavirus pandemic. He details the grim realities of the virus, how his experiences have affected his mental health, and how people's lack of concern leaves him bewildered. But this all started with my memories of that text message from Brian. I remember you text me like, y'all going to New York? It's like, for what? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. It's like, why would, I'm like, why would you go to New York? You do realize <laughs> you do realize that the plague is in New York. There's COVID you, out there. I didn't even yeah. know it was called COVID back then. It was just the plague, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, they, they gave Everybody me Everybody night- dying, Brian, let's go to New York. <laughs> yeah, man. What? They gave you yeah, 19 I got, hours, I got, I got an email at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was like, Why you are you checking your email at 3 in the morning? Why are you I up know, at 3 in the morning? I was up, man. I, be, I don't sleep. Why? I don't sleep. Stupid. What else did you do besides check your email? I'm interested in this right, real quick. What else do I do? Who was laying next to you when you checked Ain't nobody laying next to me at all. Nah, at all. Right. I think I was, uh, what was I doing? Yeah. I think I was doing schoolwork. Fuck. Mr. Chew's Asian Beavers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I don't know. Maybe you'll learn some stuff, back. man. Plan. Me and Mr. Chew's was cool. Yeah. Dude. Was, was it? I mean Anyway, you got you got nineteen hours notice. So what happened when you got there? There was no, like, there was not really any instruction about where what we were going to be doing as a unit. So I'm part of a medical did you, unit. Did you inspect some instructions? I expected a little bit like what my role is going to be because I didn't, no one told me. And because well, I. Did huh? anybody know what the hell was going on? Niggas is nah, showing up nah. at the. We, at that's the basically what diet. it was. We showed up, yeah. we showed up at the hotel, right? And so, like in New York, we there's four buses that I think that, that I traveled with and it was all military. So it looked like a militia, like it looked like the military was taking over New York because there's no one okay. in the streets. Yeah, it was just military. So everything was already shut down when you got there. Everything was shut down. There was no one outside at all. And it was crazy because you would have thought that it's fucking apocalypse going on. Granted, there was in New York, but there was literally no one in the streets. And it's middle of the day. Um, and the only people that are walking around, all you see is military uniforms and police. That was so when it. You walked, when you first walked into the hospital, what was your reaction? So I actually worked at the Javits Center first. Like, have you been to the Javits Center? It's an it's an expo. Mm-hmm. No. So basically, it it looks like a big. I'm not gonna call it an office building, but like a convention center. That's all it is. It's a big convention center. Help has arrived in New York City. One of the nation's largest convention centers is being turned into a field hospital. The goal: 1,000 beds for non-coronavirus trauma patients to ease the burden of overwhelmed hospitals. We saw a floor where patients could be and then um we saw where the patients will be and mm-hmm. there were no patients when i first got there 
How long did it take for it to be patience? A week after, or four days, like about a week after I got there, that's when we had an influx of patients. I think initially we started off seeing like 10 to 15, then it shot up to almost like 100 or something like that. Damn. Yeah. And so um, did they, did these people, were they like gravely ill? So no. So the Javits Center was made to to treat patients that were, I guess having mild symptoms. So they've already, the, the course of the virus have kind of already run its course. So they're more stable. Did y'all have masks? Yeah, we had masks. We, uh, we had n 95 masks off rip, like as soon as y'all got there? Like- yeah. So the second day we got there, we got fitted for N95s. Um, and then, you know, if you're working in the patient spaces, you're wearing, um, you had to change into scrubs and then you had to get a I had to get butt naked around each other? I mean, we had to get butt naked. You had your drawers on, but yeah. I mean, you go into Gross. each like a, men and women had their own changing areas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, but, uh, all right. <laughs> but yeah, we 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 switched into scrubs, and then um, you'd go through this um, this PPE room where uh, they'd make sure everything was, more or less obviously was clean. Give you another mask, so you're wearing an N95, then you're wearing a, a face shield, and then goggles, and so then you, you were in a gown. so y'all was straight on PPE the whole time. Well, no. And initially, we were straight on PPE. How long did it take for the PPE to... I'm not going to say the PPE cool. got exhausted, but literally, probably at two, after two to three weeks, that's uh-huh. when we had to start not necessarily reusing PPE, but recycling. So you had to reuse it? Yeah, we had to reuse it. I was trying to find... <laughs> <laughs> hey, recycling? <laughs> Yo, he said recycling? We had to throw away... We could throw away the N95s in the beginning. And then after that, they would like... You'd have to clean them, put them in a ba- like a paper bag, let them air dry for a couple of days while you're given another one. And so you'd recycle your own. Um, but initially, we didn't so have to do that. How long did it take for you to realize um, it's all bad? The first day, the first. How do you know the? How do you know the first day? Was it just all because right. there was nobody on the street and you were in New York? So all right, so at so at the hospital. So just let me just get this out. I worked at three different places and they're all different. And I say I worked at a, a field medical station, a hospital, and the morgues. What I saw at the field medical station and the hospital was that um, at the Javits Center at, at the field medical station there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of urgency. I must say there was urgency, but I mean, it wasn't the same level as it was in an actual hospital. At the hospitals, the overcapacity. The Javits wasn't like they were, we didn't reach our capacity to see patients at all. But at the hospitals, I mean, you had like a ICU unit, right? Each each uh, bed space, two patients usually. There's four patients in each room, patients Damn. in the hallways. And you had, pa- you had uh, one of the hospitals I was at, 150% over capacity with patients. They converted majority of their their spaces to all ICUs. You had people dead in the hallways. You had people dead in the rooms. Didn't know possibly how long they'd been dead. And when you found out, you may not be able to move them right away. So it was working in the actual hospitals. It was the urgency and just the... The fear in the hospitals was more real than it was at the Javits Center. And right. um, that's when I first got into a hospital, that's what I that's literally what I felt right away is the fear impacted me more at the hospitals because 
you're dealing with, you're just dealing with a whole lot more shit in the hospitals than you were at Javits. Um, everyone was running around with, with nothing, but I don't know. It was very disturbing almost because you would have thought that like a bomb went off in New York. Right. There was no bomb that went off. There's no, you know, there's no mass, there's no massacre going on in the city. I mean, there is a massacre technically going on, but I mean, as it wasn't caused by like a terrorist attack or anything like Mm -hmm. that, it was just, this virus was literally killing everyone. Right. How long, like you wake up, how long are you at work? My initial support is behavioral health. That's what I was supposed to be doing out there. Uh, and I say behavioral health, meaning providing what resiliency care I could to our troops and patients that were there. My schedule the first two days technically was eight to 10 hours per shift. And then my third day, I got reassigned to um, mortuary affairs to work out in the morgues. And I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then I'd be on whatever, wherever morgue said I needed to be at around three thirty in the morning. And then I wouldn't get back to my hotel room sometimes until 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. That's crazy. And I remember the first week I actually worked almost three days in a row. And I say literally, literally three days in a row. I worked day shift, night shift, day shift, and then slept four hours and then worked day shift again. And then that was my schedule almost the whole time I was there. Well, like, did you have any information as to like how they like there was like nobody really knew anything in terms of care for the patients because at this point new york was at its peak in terms of corona cases and shit um it was like building an airplane in the air that's the only way i can describe the information that we had we had very minimal information and any information that we could get we tried to apply it and then, but even still over every couple of days, I felt like things, rules, policies, regulations, whatever were changing. So maybe something might've been one way on Monday, but come time Wednesday, Thursday, completely different. Do you, did you feel like you can even do your job because you didn't like, I, I would imagine that's a helpless feeling to yeah, have to care it, it, for these people. It but is. You really don't know what's going on. Generally, patients that were hooked up to ventilators, they were going to die. Mm-hmm. That that was just, they had a 90, not like a 90% mortality rate. So, you know, they were going to die. It's just, it was a matter of when. Um, that was the helpless thing, watching people die. So, you, this is essentially, you got, I'm just throwing a number out there. You tell me if I'm wrong. You got hundreds of patients and you know they're all sick with the same thing, but you're just throwing everything to the wall to see what works yeah to see what sticks basically because i mean you don't know what what may work for one patient may not work for the other one um but you do know that ventilators help keep patients alive like that was one thing you knew at least keep them alive hopefully to the point that they could recover but that wasn't always the case were you there while when they were short on ventilators I, yeah, I was there when they were short on ventilators, short on PPE. When you were short on ventilators, were people just like, how did that work? Were you so the thing is, is that they, they're not going to, they're not, if they don't, 
if a hospital doesn't have the capacity to receive a patient, right? Hopefully mm-hmm. it was communicated. I don't think I actually saw, you know, that they, you know, a patient came in and they didn't have a ventilator. It's where, cause all, you know, all the five bureaus in New York were all in communication with each other. Right? Bureaus. Burrows. He said bureaus. Bure. Sorry. Burrows. <laughs> yeah, Five burrows. Excuse me. They were all in communication with each other. So, you know, of the hospital or, or field medical station, whatever, they tell them, hey, we don't have this, send the patient there. So the coordination, I think, by far was probably one of the all, most great most awesome things that I saw in New York because communication was, had to be there. It like had people to be actually there. working together. Like the whole, literally, it was amazing to see that the whole city was coming together. And so, why do you sound so hopeless when we talk about like the people? Because, <laughs> first off, that was there. The rest of the. A lot of places in this country aren't working together. They're not. And they're fighting against each other. That's, that's what pisses me off with people. Like, we're all in this fight together, so let's fight together. Don't why why funks among ourselves when there's literally only one enemy right now? Right. Yeah, yeah. You would think. Yeah. Yeah. So why not put all of our efforts and forward to ensure that everyone's safety is is considered? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't understand why there's so much back and forth or we shouldn't be doing this and we should be doing this. Like, anyway, all right. Do you think it's because, do you think it has something to do with, like, just the way, um, I think our country is divided? You know, like, it's just built to be divided? Like, as far as, I'm a tr- I'm going to try to keep this answer brief. Yeah, yeah. Try to. Sorry, Alex. Um, Our country is united, but divided at the same time. And that is how our, that's how the state and federal system is built, right? Each state has their own power to decide how they want to run certain things, right? The federal government's involvement isn't to get in the way of states. That's why there's so many different ways of how states are, let's say, are combating this virus. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, this is my opinion, but the federal government should have put a nationwide policy in place. Like if this is a nationwide emergency, then they should have they should have the power to control how each state should be doing what. Yeah. But that that's been but that's that's not what happened. And so, you know, you have states where, you know, they're they're watching let's say at the time New York suffering, oh, New York is they're getting fucked. We're doing fine though. We don't have any cases here. Fast forward two to three months later, New York's fine, but now these states are fucked up because they didn't want to follow whatever protocols to make sure that they were secure and safe. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but I mean, that's where we at now. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have to be, but it's where we at now. Here is really what I think is the most frightening image of all today. Lenox Hill is just off of Park Avenue. And behind me is the site that some Park Avenue residents are waking up to this morning. Let me describe it to you. There is at the end a tented walkway that comes out of the back of Lenox Hill Hospital. And it goes to this refrigeration truck. That truck 
is a temporary morgue. And just a few minutes ago, we were listening to the generator hum here just off of Park Avenue as it waits for the bodies of COVID-19 patients to come. Um, and what they think is just going to be a very difficult couple of weeks ahead for the city of New York. Um, it is it is very, very difficult to look at these refrigerated trucks. They are not only here. This one is here, obviously, outside Lenox Hill. But you will see them outside hospitals throughout the city of New York. Officials are trying to prepare New Yorkers for what is today a bad situation that is only going to get worse. So, like, that was just half of my role, though. My other half was to provide therapeutic treatment to everyone that was working in these morgues, right? And like a lot of these kids, because that's what they were, these these guys don't do this for their everyday job. Some of these individuals that they were told they were going to be doing a different job. We how had old, cooks. How old were the people? Eight, between 18 and up. So you had... And the thing is, is like, you know, you had, a, you had a lot of individuals who were told like their, their actual job is to be a cook. And now they're out here doing this. Kind of like yours. You're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, I'm not, I was never trained to do this. I was, I'm not trained to do it now. It was just kind of like, this is what we're going to try to do. You get um, in where you fit in. Yeah. If you're having issues, then go see behavioral health. And that was me. So. And, you know, the first couple of days I was like, I'm, I can't, cause I think the first patient that I, or not patient, but the first soldier I work with, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, what they're feeling. And I'm like, I can't relate to this at all. Like I, there's nowhere. So I was like, you know, the only way that I can provide the best care, I got to do what they're doing. And all, me doing that is I built respect from them as well. If I'm doing the same work they're doing and they're seeing me doing that, then they're going to trust me more. And um, that's exactly what happened. So, wait. So, did you request that, or it just? No, I I didn't request it. I just did it. it. It's like it's like something you thought, and then it ended up happening. Yeah, because I was yeah, pretty much. Like in um, your mind, like I I can't understand these people. It would help yeah. if I had the experience. Then your boss was like, "Hey, yo, Brian, come get on this truck." Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So it was um. So like how it was set up was that you had three rows on each side of the truck and then um, and then they're tiered. Uh, so you had three levels that you would stack the bodies. The lightest would go up top, the heaviest on the bottom, and then like moderate in the middle. Or no, excuse me, the heaviest was in the middle and then the moderate or was on the bottom. So one of the trucks or a lot of the trucks weren't the way they were built because they were built in a rush. <laughs> they um they they weren't as sturdy or stable the structures weren't so right. one of the days they uh all the bodies the the framework collapsed and all the bodies fell within the truck so now you had to retrieve and move all those bodies out that are on top of each other and this that or the other step over step on whatever you got to do to put to put them back into another truck and it's one thing when you're when you're when you're when you're touching a a body bag with a body in it, you can literally feel 
everything. And in the trucks, there's not a lot of light. So you can see the silhouette of, of the shape of the people as well. And it wasn't like, you know, all these bodies were fresh. Some of them were, you don't know what, what stage of decom- uh, decomposition that they were in. So you had smells ranging from just fucking horrid to can't smell them at all. And even now, I, I can't quite say I'm the same since that experience. I mean, it, each each morgue was able to hold, I think, like a thousand or fifteen hundred bodies, mm-hmm. all at capacity, all the time. You know, it got to the point to where there were so many human remains that they had to stop embalming because they couldn't keep up. Yeah. Damn. What do you do if you don't embalm a body? <sighs> you freeze them. Basically, you know, we bag them. Um, we first make sure, obviously, that the person is who they are, right? And then you um, bag them and then freeze them. You place them in a freezer. Each freezer truck held 125 bodies in it. And um, it was, it, it's, you don't really get used to the smell. And then I remember, like, my uniform because all I had was a hotel room. I didn't necessarily have a closet to put my uniform in. So mm-hmm. I had to wrap it in a bag and I couldn't wash my uniform every day. So I had to buy a lot of Febreze. I don't know, Alex, if you remember that I asked you if you could buy me some Febreze. I, I still got the fucking box of Febreze yeah. that the lady That was said. why, because I, I needed to spray my uniforms down. Yeah, the lady at the post office said, you can send it, but if you do and it opens... It cracks open somehow. They gonna come for you. Yeah. It's like, sorry, so. Brian. <laughs> I know you're dealing with Corona, but I don't want to get arrested for Febreze. Right. So <laughs> what? I, I found some Febreze, so we good. But yeah, like my hotel room, you know, I only had so much space in there, right? So what, like a hundred and fifty square foot room. They could have gave y'all suites. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So living in and out of that hotel room. Granted, I was only there for like five percent of the day even still so so without the training so how what was the time frame when did they tell you that you'd be dealing with the uh uh more so the third day um yeah the third day but but like after you got off work or before you left work no it was was while it was while i was at work my second day okay and then the third day i was out there after a couple days i mean we 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 opted to help because the help was needed, but also to to ensure that we're providing the best care to you know the soldiers that were there. Um, we had to. So, so you yeah. you're seeing this virus just. I'm seeing it from all angles. I, yeah, I'm like seeing it, it essentially ravage the most hustle and bustle state in the nation and close it down. And all the hustle and bustle. All the hustle and bustle is, was no longer there it, at all. But all the hustle and bustle is now in the hospital. In the hospitals. Trying yeah. to deal with patients who are sick with a disease no one knows how to do anything. And it's 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 different. I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong. It's different from something like a rare form of cancer or something like that where they, yeah, may, they may have experimental things they can try. But you're dealing with people who just don't know what's happening, right? Yeah. So this is the biggest difference between this virus and anything else. Um, I, I guess when I say anything else, mostly everything else in terms of diseases and stuff like that, 
because they were contagious, right? First, we had to change PPE before we could go into another patient room. So you had to change PPE before every room? Yes. And that's why PPE burns so quickly because you don't want to cross-contaminate, right? Secondly, because these patients had COVID, they could not, family members couldn't visit. Um, Only a limited number of staff could actually be in the room. And I think that was the hardest thing to see was that if you were a family member, granted, you know, we, we tried to do like Skype calls with the patients so that, you know, the family members could see, but if the patient were to pass away, family members couldn't see that they couldn't see it. And the thing is, is that as, as much as this was affecting people in New York, the frontline workers that were working in these hospitals were also dying from it too. And I think that was probably one of the hardest things that, but like, let's say that some of these hospitals and their staff members, you know, worked there for five, 10. And one of the members, one of the guys that I was told about worked there for 30 years, end up getting COVID and actually dying there. They had a room, a tribute area for all the staff that passed away, but the staff didn't have time to mourn them because they were so, they were running around trying to take care of everything else that was going in the hospital. Right. So you know, that, I think that was probably one of the hardest things that, that also the hospitals had to deal with too, not just the patients, but granted, you know, they're, they're colleagues, but at that point, you know, they're considered family after working, you know, for so long. So, right. um, and then now these people have to, then these workers have to go back to their families and that's a whole nother issue. They have to isolate themselves from their families and stuff like that. So, right. I mean, it was, I wasn't in a very good state of mind, I think, after the second or third week while I was there. Just based off that, the, you know, it being so hectic, the amount of death that I saw, and then just after a while, that enthusiasm you had in the beginning to help just vanished. Mm-hmm. And it becomes frustration, and it becomes not wanting to go into work, but you have to because you're, you know, you're, hopefully you're you're able to save someone's life that day. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not natural to see that kind of shit. Yeah, it's it's not. And even everyone that was there, the only, the the most common theme was we've never seen anything like this right. at all ever. Right. And right. even now, you know, and that's why I get so upset when I see people not taking this seriously because I I'm not saying I wish people saw what I did see. But at the same time, they would have a different view and belief on how serious this virus is. And I I get when I first got back home, I was so pissed off with family talking stupid, with friends talking stupid. I was just so pissed off when I saw people not caring. And I just I didn't quite understand that on the news channel, the news channels didn't. Granted, yes, they covered what they could cover in New York, but it's one thing to see it and it's one thing to live it. And right. I, I'm just, I'm at a point even now where it, it has affected me and not in the, and not in the greatest way. Um, I find myself, I, I'm not, it's hard for me to even talk about, it, I guess it, I find myself trying to to minimize how much I care about people. And I say that Mm -hmm. meaning, 
maybe it's me because granted in my experiences maybe i'm making a big deal out of it but i know i'm not but when I mean, i'm talking to someone you know let's say a family member for that matter and they're kind of minimizing the whole this whole ordeal mm-hmm. and I, I i i just revert back to thinking the bullshit that i went through day in and day out and you're basically minimizing what i did right you're minimizing the deaths that you know, I think, like I said, there's almost 30,000 people that passed away from COVID while I was there. You're minimizing, you know, how those family members are feeling due to the loss of their loved ones. You're minimizing, again, the deaths. You're minimizing the hard work, the sweat, the blood that these these healthcare workers are putting in. Um, and it just pisses me off. And I'm trying not to be pissed off right now. I, I But I just... I get so infuriated, and I think the first two to three weeks when I got back home, I was just so fucking pissed off. Um, what also pissed me off, and it still pisses me off, is that New York got hit the hardest out of any. Well, they got hit the hardest at the time, and a lot of individuals, and I say individuals meaning state governors, individuals in the White House, they were criticizing you know the response of the the methods and the policies and the restrictions that new york put in place to help sustain and keep their city safe and a lot of individuals all these individuals are basically stating that new york should not shut anything down and they had to and i think that a lot of states should follow what new york did but they're choosing not to because they're being told that this virus isn't that serious. But mm-hmm. that's why you have a lot of states that are hot zones now that are have worse numbers than New York. And that all could have been mitigated. Yeah, I was gonna say mitigate. Sorry, I just I'm I'm getting I'm getting fucking hot. I feel like Marcus. I'm getting hot <laughs> as shit in here. <laughs> Nah, it's hot up in here too, dude. Hey, man. Let me, let me <laughs> ask you this, Doc. So, the president gets coronavirus, and he does this triumphant return, takes off his mask. How does how does that make you feel as someone who serves this country to see the commander in chief act like this? Just specifically since he's, let's say, come home from the hospital. It makes me feel like he just doesn't fucking care about anybody but his fucking self. While I'm literally watching individuals of all ages pass away on a ventilator, you have the president of the United States basically stating that New York is doing it wrong, but also that this virus isn't a big deal. Even now, he's purposely... And intentionally, whether or not it's intentionally, I'm not going to say intentionally, but he is willing to get other people sick because of his own agenda. Mm-hmm. And it's always been that way. That's why, for me, I'm just so pissed off because all the work I, not just me, but my entire team and the individuals yeah, and, that are still in New York. And, and even, uh, let's let's go out even further the the workers at grocery stores people have passed away because they were they they're trying to give us food people at restaurants these are people who are chronically underpaid and out here 
during well, risking the most uncertain risking their life, the most yeah. uncertain time in my lifetime and will probably ever be. I saw this meme. And I probably spoke about this already, but this is the meme that changed my life, my whole viewpoint on this shit, right? But like you know, it just stated that uh, you're not essential, you're sacrificial. Because that was originally what I was thinking. Like, Brian going to New York, everybody who's like, you know, when I was seeing the shit, like when I was researching the shit on my on my own, like about the 16 essential like job markets and all this bullshit, like, and making people feel like, you know, they're, you know, be proud that you're an essential worker. And I'm just like, Y'all fucking stupid. <laughs> you know, I got to wake up and be sad because, you know, there might be some idiot at work that just doesn't see the severity of the situation and I might get sick and die. Right. Completely different world than the people who are choosing not to, you know, back to what Brian was saying, like the people that are just choosing to ignore it. Completely different world. And it's because it's real. It's a different type of fear with you. Yeah. You, I mean, granted, we talked to Brian a bit, but I know he was in no, he was in no state of mind to give us all of it. Right. But we had a little insight. And then with Lena, I would tell you guys about what she saw at the hospital. Right. But for people like you, Marcus, out here working, you just really don't know. And then there's people like Brian who would love to like have a bullhorn and just like, yo, right, <laughs> shit is real. Right. Hey, I mean, right, it's man. fucking have signs and banners up and yeah, yeah. It, so I w- I would just imagine for you, Brian, like it's got to be for you to go through and you know the people you served with and the people you worked with to go through that and to see that level of death and all of that to see your neighbors or people at the store all the way to people who are supposed to be running the country. Yeah. Like that's got to hit you differently than it. I mean, it does. You. Right. Um, you know, I, I've seen all ages pass away from this virus. I've bagged people of all ages due to this virus. Um, I don't, it sorry i'm i'm trying not to i'm trying to find my words to sound dog, just not as emotional sorry tell man it, how it's, it is dog yeah, it's all good though i didn't tell you all this but i actually did break down uh while i was in new york because i i couldn't handle at least at the time, like one day, I guess I just couldn't handle the pressure. I couldn't handle the hours. I couldn't handle what I was seeing. I couldn't handle worrying about you guys, my family, my friends. I couldn't handle, you know, whether I'm, I'm going to get sick. Right. I, I, I just, there were so many different things at play for me. I, I just, I didn't know how to feel. And I think, even now, even though I'm not in that situation, would I go out there and help again? I would. Do I want to? I'm not saying I do or I don't, but at the same time, it's that I, I want to help, but I don't think I am emotionally able to do that yet. Right. Um, physically, I can help all day. Emotionally, yeah, I don't know if I can. Mile runner. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, 
it's it's been exhausting emotionally for me to have just any type of conversation with people um i mean i'm in therapy for it it's again i'm i, I try not to i walk around just pissed off all the time but i try not to if that makes any sense it's mm-hmm. um and it it'd be one thing if i could remove myself away from you know my triggers but i can't otherwise i, just, I wouldn't be able to leave my house and you know, when I hear, let's say, colleagues or friends talking about, oh, let's go out to eat or let's do this. And I'm like, why? Like, why why directly or intentionally put yourself at risk? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get that. Granted, minimize as much as you can because obviously people need to shop, get groceries and all that stuff. But what's the why, why are you in such a rush to go back to a restaurant? Why are you in such a rush to go back to a bar, this, that, or the other when – you don't need to right now. And mm-hmm. You don't. And when I see people on news having all these fucking parties, I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're <laughs> intentionally having COVID parties. Like, I don't get that at all. I, I don't. Yeah, I, 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 w- I don't think that's... Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. They, the, I believe they call that natural selection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Darwin is... Our, <laughs> our country's about to get a whole lot smarter. <laughs> 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 right, on average, on average... <laughs> On average, (laughs) but um, you're right. I wasn't in the right mindset. I think when I initially, when we initially um, started speaking a little bit more, I was in New York. I wasn't in the greatest place. And I mean, we could tell. Yeah, we used to talk about you behind your back, like, "Yo, Brian, (laughs) fucked up, yeah." Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Out of out of concern, we didn't out of concern, obviously. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. like, yo, man, I think you know. I think it's something wrong with him, dude. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of details I, I probably won't tell you guys um, unless we're like drinking or something. But there's a lot of shit that I did see that I can't not cannot see. If that makes sense. That you can't unsee. Unsee, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. You just fucked up the saying. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you didn't say the cliche correct, but I know what you meant though. Well, you know what I'm talking about, man. So yeah, you should see um, a therapist like more times a week than you do now. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm going to th- three times. I'm going to therapy need, too, dude. I'm, I'm about to sign your up too. Uh, yo, yo, deductible, dude. Man. <laughs> anyway, uh, appreciate y'all listening to me, man. Yeah, one day I'll tell you some details about some stuff, man. It's, you all right, dude? Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to kick it with us on the Black Life Pod. On behalf of Marcus and Brian, we want to thank all of the military service men and women, healthcare workers, restaurant staff, store clerks, food production staff, and all of the people on the front lines who have lost their lives and are risking their lives to keep the world moving. Although your respective workplaces and governments may not show their appreciation for your tireless efforts, we see you and we appreciate you for your bravery and courage in these dangerous times. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Black Life Pod. That's B-L-A-C-L-I-F-E-P-O-D. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. That helps us gain new listeners and continue to grow the show. Shout out to listener. I'm going to botch this, but uh, listeners, Sir Glue, 
for our latest review. We appreciate it. If reviews and such aren't your thing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. We'll be back next Thursday for another conversation about the crazy experience that is life. Love yourself. Love one another. Till next time. If everybody wears a mask, everything gets better. But COVID has become as tribal, sir, as our politics. Some will wear them, some won't. If we don't change and make masks mostly universal in America, what are we facing this fall and winter? I think we're facing a whole lot of trouble. We have a baseline of infections now that vary between 40 and 50,000 per day. That's a bad place to be when you're going into the cooler weather of the fall and the colder weather of the winter. In addition, we would like to see the percent positivity be coming down. And unfortunately, if you look at the states of the country, instead of seeing it go in the other direction down, we're seeing an increase in test positivity. So you combine an increase in test positivity, which is always a predictor of more cases and ultimately more hospitalizations and ultimately more death. So that's what the concern that I have and that so many of my fellow public health officials have We're in a bad place now. We've got to turn this around. If we do five fundamental things, universal wearing of masks, maintaining physical distance, avoiding congregate settings or crowds, as it were, doing things more outdoors as opposed to indoors, and washing hands frequently, those simple things, as simple as they sound, can certainly turn around the spikes that we see and can prevent new spikes from occurring. We know that. that we, we know that because our experience has proven to us that that is the case. We just need to hunker down and do that. This all or none phenomenon, either stay shut or pull, you know, just throw caution to the wind, doesn't work. And we've proven it doesn't work. So the, the prudent way and the careful way we know will, in fact, gut us open and will do it in a safe way. So we've got to stop thinking that we exist in a vacuum only for ourselves. We're all in this together. We're all part of a society that's either going to get hurt or that's going to get helped by our actions. So we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem.